The vision received was that of blood cells traveling throughout the body supplying the much needed oxygen and other nutrients to the differing members of the body to fulfill their purpose. Once the blood cells are spent, they must return back to the heart to be refilled before being sent out again and fulfill their purpose. Welcome brothers and sisters. We are here yet again. Uh, we are trying to go through our series called The Principles of the Doctrine of Christ, and we have been focusing on the first of the fundamental basic principles, and that's called repentance from dead works. And when last we left, we talked a lot about repentance, talked about what it is, what it's linked to in baptism. Um, and so we kind of focus on the first word of the phrase, repentance from dead works. But we haven't really touched upon dead works. And what that is. So that's what we want to do tonight. We want to kind of look at what is dead works? What is it? That's kind of an odd phrase. So, um, for our first uh, verse of consideration tonight, uh, Deborah, if you will read Romans chapter 10, verse 3, that could kind of get us started on looking at what does it mean to repent from dead works. For being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness, they have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. Now, anybody know who wrote Romans? Paul. Paul wrote Romans to the Gentiles. Roman Gentiles. And he said, they, being ignorant of God's righteousness. Now, we didn't read the full context of it. Does anybody know who is they that he was talking about in this verse? That they were ignorant of God's righteousness and they went about to establish their own righteousness. They did not submit themselves unto the righteousness of God. Who was he talking about here? Anybody know? The Pharisees. You think it was the Pharisees? Anybody know? I said Israel. Israel. Yeah. If we read the context of that chapter, Paul was speaking here of Israel. But he was probably speaking specifically referring to the Pharisees, the religious leaders, because the body doesn't go anywhere unless the head leads. So he's probably focused on the leaders and what they have been doing. They were ignorant of God's righteousness. They went about to establish their own righteousness. And we've talked in many times past about how they kind of twisted and perverted the, the pure law as it was and they added more stuff and they created more burdens for the people of God. And it's interesting that he's writing this because he himself was once a Pharisee. So if anybody understood the religious leaders of his day, it's not uh, Peter, it's not James, it's not Matthew, 
It's none of the rest of the disciples. It would have been Paul. Paul was raised in the Pharisaical um, educational system. And we've talked about times past. He was, you know, he was taught and, and he learned under the famous Gamaliel, uh, who was another Pharisee, a very well-known Pharisee back then. He understood more than anyone else their strict religious upbringing. But there was some point in time in Paul's life that it was revealed to him that they, meaning the religious leaders of Israel, and himself at one time, were trying to go about establishing their own righteousness separate and apart from God's righteousness. They would not humble themselves and submit themselves to God's righteousness. So the question then becomes, well, wait, well, if Israel and the religious leaders of Israel didn't get it and they got the law and they got, you know, we, we heard this past Sunday that there wasn't just 10 <laughs> commandments, guys. There was how many? Did anybody catch the number? How many actual laws were there? 613. Okay. Well, if they knew all 613, why does Paul still say that they did not submit themselves to the righteousness of God. What is God's righteousness? If Israel and the religious leaders did not obtain it either. So let's think about, let's contrast Paul. He was a former Pharisee. He was a former religious leader of Israel. And then let's look at what Jesus said to the Pharisees. In John chapter 5, 39 through 40. Monica, that will be your two verses. John chapter 5, 39 through 40. Did you find it? John chapter 5, 39-40. Search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. And you will not come to me that you might be saved. So Jesus, speaking to the Pharisees, says, Listen, you search the scriptures. You know the scriptures. But you place your trust in, in, in the simple fact that you know the scriptures. And by knowing the scriptures, you think you have eternal life. But those same scriptures which you seem to know so well are testifying of me. And what did Jesus said? You will not what? Come to me. That ye might have eternal life. So right there, that tells me that the knowledge of the scriptures is not what Jesus finds important in one's life. I mean, 
That's not what causes someone to obtain eternal life. Simply having the knowledge of the scriptures. Israel had the knowledge of the scriptures. Israel had the word of God. Yet didn't they get delivered out of Egypt only to die in the wilderness? Having the law and having been able to hear from God with the thunders and the lightnings and the quakes and the, on the mountain and the cloud coming down and leading them by night and, or leading them by day with a fire by night. Didn't they have all that? Did they they still die? Yeah. The knowledge of the scriptures is not what saves you. Jesus said, you will not come to me. Was he saying that they were not praying to him? When he said, you're not coming to me? What do we know about the Pharisees? Did they recognize Jesus as the Messiah? The promised one. Did they recognize him as such? No. no. They rejected him at every turn. They, they, and in the end, they tried to murder him. And they succeeded. They did not accept him as the savior of Israel. As the king of Israel. They rejected him. They knew all the scriptures. They knew about the prophecies of the Messiah. They had been reading it. They had been studying it. They had looked into it. They even knew the time was to come because even there were prophets and prophetesses that were in the temple waiting, knowing that the time was about to come. They knew, they knew, they knew. And they blessed him when they came into the temple, did they not? The prophetess and the prophet, they blessed Jesus on the eighth day when he was circumcised. They knew the time was to come, but they rejected him anyway. I'm talking about the Pharisees and the religious leaders. They knew the scriptures better than the common people. Better than Peter, better than Matthew, better than common fishermen. They knew the scriptures and yet they still rejected Jesus. So knowing the scriptures is not what saves. But knowing Jesus and coming to Jesus, and surrendering to Jesus, the Savior, then causes you to become saved. But something became different between Paul and the religious leaders of Israel. We find the answer in Philippians. So Ralph, if you will read Philippians chapter 3, verse 9. And be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is though the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. Paul came to a revelation. When Christ revealed himself to Paul, and Paul began to surrender his life to Jesus, and, and just wait upon him. We've already talked about his conversion experience. Remember, he separated himself from the disciples. He did not spend time with the disciples until he was set apart in Arabia. And he stayed there for three years. Jesus was ministering to him. And one of the things that he came out with when he wrote this letter to the Philippians is that he found... Being found in Christ, he found that I'm not having my own righteousness anymore, which he said was of what? The law. 
You see, he was a former Pharisee. And they trusted in the simple fact that they had the knowledge of the law. And because they had the knowledge of the law, they trusted that that's what saved him. But he had a revelation. He said, I'm not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but now I have a righteousness, which is through what? The faith of what? Of who? The faith of Christ. Then it says, the righteousness which is of God by faith. You see, the righteousness of God does not come by the knowledge of the law. It does not come by the practice of the law or the ceremonial practices or the moral practices of the law. It comes by faith in Christ. Now, we talked about this in times past in other studies. We are robed in His righteousness because of faith. If you remember day two, how about how the mist came up and it settled itself on the ground? And we said, what is that a type of? And we looked at other scriptures and it says that we are robed in his righteousness by faith. And this is another scripture that's saying the same thing. I'm not, I'm not clothing myself in my own righteousness, in my own practices and beliefs of the law, which is pure and true and holy, but I am putting my faith and my trust in Christ. Christ is who saves. Not the law, not the knowledge of the law, not the practice of the law. Putting your faith and trust in Christ alone. He then saves you. So the difference that that turned about in Paul's life between Paul and the rest of the religious leaders is that Paul began to submit himself to the righteousness of God. He began to submit himself to Christ, which is what the Pharisees would not do. They would not uh, surrender themselves and respect Christ as the Messiah, as the King of Israel. They would not do that. Paul did. And so then his track began to veer, I mean, just veer incredibly away from where the Pharisees were walking. Because again... The contrast is the Pharisees were trying to create and establish their own righteousness separate and apart from God. And Paul said, no, I'm not doing that anymore. I'm going to submit myself to Christ, the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings. And when he did that, he began to be clothed in the righteousness of God. The letter to the Philippians tells us that God's righteousness is through faith in Christ. We can't get around that. Paul did not, he was not talking in a mystery here. He said it flat out. Paul submitted himself by refusing to walk anymore independent of God. Paul refused to walk anymore undependent on God. He refused both. I'm not going to walk independent of God. It means separate from Him. And I'm not going to walk undependent on God anymore. It means I'm going to be dependent on Him to save me. So, can I say something? Okay. So, it would be like, it's not anymore, if we think about it, something today, it's not anymore like, I go to church every Sunday, and I say, you know, this certain prayer, and I take communion... That's, it, that's not what's giving you your right, the righteousness that God gives us, but it's 
by yielding to the Lord and allowing Him to yield to to lead your life, right? In today's about, day, yeah, that's kind of, that's what we're saying here. It's yeah. not about being, uh, you know, like I'm following these rules of this church or I'm doing this and that. It's more about I'm I know the word, but there's nothing wrong with knowing the word. But it's knowing the word in relationship to Jesus, yielded to His Spirit, and doing what He says. Because what the Pharisees wouldn't do was what was that? They were in their system, and they didn't want anything other than their system. So the Pharisees back then trusted in the fact that they simply knew the law. That was enough for them. That's what saved them, because they knew the law. And you know what? None of the Gentiles are going to be saved. Why? Because they don't know the law. They don't walk in the law. They don't submit themselves to the law. But the, the difference is, Paul said, no, I'm not, I'm not even going to put my trust in the knowledge of the law. I'm going to put my trust in Christ. And that's how we get our robes of righteousness. So he became completely dependent on Jesus, who is his God, who is our God. He did this by repenting. He did this by turning his faith upon Jesus. The righteousness of God is not, is obtained not by the works of the law. That's the revelation he, he, he started to understand. It's not by the knowledge of the law. It's not by the works of the law either. In other words, the practice of the law. That you go every year to do your feast and you bring the sacrifices and, 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 and you follow the law of, you know, thou shalt not worship thy God, uh, with any other gods before thee and all of the, all the ten commandments, all the 613. It's not the knowledge of that. It's not even the practice of it that it saves you. Because what happened was the Pharisees put their trust in just, I know the law. I'm walking in it. So that's what's going to save me. Well, who are they trusting? Are they trusting in God to save them? Or are they trusting in the fact that they have the knowledge of the law and they're walking in it themselves? They're not trusting in God. They're trusting in themselves, in their efforts, in their ability to keep the law. Well, that's not putting your face in trust in Christ because if every single one of them was honest, they would tell you, mm, but I've broken the law. Not once. Not twice, like a lot of times. Even after I knew what the law was, I still broke it. So you can't depend upon yourself because you can't force yourself to walk perfectly. And even if you could, you had already broken the law beforehand. So you can't wash away that mar. You can't, you can't, um, you can ignore it as if it didn't happen, but the fact is it did. And so no longer is your life perfect. So you can't trust in yourself to correct the matter. You have to place your trust in the only one who could correct that situation. The only one who can absolve you and cleanse you from your sin, and that's Christ. So he repented from self-righteousness. He repented from self-effort. He repented from exalting himself. And he said, I'm just going to humble myself and put my faith in Christ. I'm going to put my faith in Jesus. Because he alone, he alone is who saves. Otherwise, he would not title himself as Savior. 
If we could save ourselves from the knowledge of the law, if we could save ourselves by practicing the works of the law, then what need would we of a Savior? There would be no need, but we can't do that. It doesn't matter if we have the knowledge. It doesn't matter if we're practicing it, if we're going to our church every seven days on a Sunday. It doesn't matter that we go to our Bible studies on Wednesday. None of that is going to save us. But it's my relationship with Christ. It's that I put my trust in Him and I allow myself to be led of Him daily. Not just one day, not just two days, but daily. Repentance is a sustained change uh, where, where you are consistently allowing yourself to be led of Jesus Christ. So then we might want to ask ourselves, well, if it's by faith of, of, of Jesus Christ that saves us, then what is the faith of Christ? So I'm going to use Jesus as an example of what it is to have the faith of Christ. Because Jesus was Christ, was he not? If we can see him walk and exhibit faith, then we ought to probably follow the same example. Jesus is our example of a man like you, like me, a human, dependent on the Spirit of God. He is the perfect example of a man who is dependent on his Father God. Christ was in every which way you can think and describe in all manner dependent upon the Spirit of God. Now I'm not just saying that, I have the scriptures for that, but I'm trying to make it abundantly clear that he was the perfect example of a mere man dependent upon the Spirit of God. He was a perfect example of a man dependent upon God. And now I want you to look at this testimony in the or Gospel of John of this truth that I'm trying to explain. The next uh, verses is John chapter 5, 17 and 18. I'm going to go straight to the words of Jesus for us to understand that he was a man who was dependent upon the Spirit of God. What's it say? 18. It says, But Jesus answered them, My Father worketh hitherto, and I work. Therefore the Jews sought the more to kill him, because he not only had broken the Sabbath, but said also that God was his Father, making himself equal with God. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. He said, my Father has been working until now. And I have been working, he said. And the Jews, just because he said that, they wanted to kill him. The Jews. The Pharisees. They wanted to kill him, not just because he broke the Sabbath, but he also said, God was his father. You see, he said, my father. 
my like like I got a personal tie. I got a personal connection with him. He was the son and he is my father. And they didn't say it that way. They said God. You know, my God, but my father? I mean, that's even more intimate. So they wanted to kill him because he 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 said my father. Not just my God, my father. And that and in doing so, they they believed that he was making himself equal with God, it says. Now the Jews knew. They understood that when Jesus said God was his father, that by interpretation he was saying that he was God. That's how the Jews understood it. And Jesus didn't correct them. He didn't say, no, 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 that's not what I meant. No, 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 I'm sorry. I, no, you misunderstood. He didn't say any of that. He didn't say any, you misunderstood me. He let them think that because that's exactly what he was saying. And there's a lot of other scriptures that are even more overt. That they're, they're more explicit than this just one scripture. We'll go through them. But the Jews would not accept that God came in the flesh. They could not accept that they looking in the face of Jesus, he looked like a mere mortal man like me. He's got two eyes. He's got one mouth. He breathes. I've seen him go to the bathroom. I've seen him have to change. He's, he, you know, he sweats. He's got to go shower. He's got, he, he's got to do everything like me. What do you mean? No, I, I reject the fact that you're saying you're God. You're not God. You're just a man like me. They couldn't, they couldn't accept that. But that's exactly what Jesus was saying. And he never corrected their thinking on it. But we know through apostolic perspective through 1 Timothy 3.16 great is the mystery of godliness God was what? manifested in the flesh they could not accept that and there are many Jews today that still don't accept that they refuse to recognize him as the promised Messiah they refuse to recognize him as Emmanuel what does Emmanuel mean? God with us. Not another God, not a son of God. God with us. That's what Emmanuel means. So sadly, many of them still don't accept that today. Jesus was Emmanuel. God with us. Let's read more in John 5, 19 and 20. Then answered Jesus and said to them, this is the same chapter that Patricia just read, there's more of what Jesus said as they kept, you know, going back and forth. Jesus said to them, Verily, verily, I say unto you that the Son can do nothing of Himself. But what He sees the Father do, what for what things soever He doeth, meaning whatever things the Father does, these also doeth the Son likewise. Jesus is saying in a very interesting way, uh, the son, meaning me, because everybody knew he referred to himself as the son, the son can do nothing of himself. But what is Jesus saying causes the actions and the words of the son? Well, whenever the son sees the father do something, then the son does it. That's what he's saying here. Whatever the father does, that the son doeth likewise. Why? Because they 
would not ex- not not because of this, but the reason why the son only did what the father did is because the father was in the son, and that's what they could not accept that God came in the flesh. That's the interesting way Jesus described his relationship between himself and the Father. He put it in that way, but what he was saying was that I and the Father are equal, are one. That's what he was saying. So it says here, you know what? The Father loveth the Son and sheweth him all things that himself doeth. The Father so loves the Son that the Father shows the Son everything that he does. There's this there's this un, there's this, um, unheld back revelation or intimacy that the Father is giving the Son. The Father is showing the Son everything. He's holding nothing back. That's the way Jesus is describing His relationship. And, and when we read that, we think, well, He's talking of two people, the Son and the Father, the Son and the Father. But as we read, we're, we're, you'll, you'll come to find out He's not talking about two different people. So let's continue reading. Let's read verse 21. He says, As the Father raises up the dead and quickeneth them, as the Father makes alive people, the Son also makes alive whomever He wills. So when the Father makes someone alive, so does the Son. Again, it's saying that the Father and the Son are doing exactly the same thing. The Father and the Son are doing the same thing. You getting that? The Father and the Son are doing the same thing. Thing. When the Father does it, the Son does it. When the Father says it, the Son says it. Then it says, in verse 26, For as the Father hath life in Himself, so hath He given the Son to have life in Himself. He's speaking in a very interesting way as if there's two things going on, but what's so Similar, what doesn't change is that whatever the Father does, the Son does. Whatever the Father is capable of doing, so is the Son capable of doing. So when you put that idea together, he's explicitly stating that I can do nothing of myself, but as he hears, he judges, and his judgment is just, because he doesn't do it out of his own will. Whatever Jesus did in this, in his life that we see recorded in the scriptures was not because it was his bright idea. It's because he saw the Father do it and he did it. He heard the Father say it and he said it. Because whatever the Father did, the Son did. It was almost like a perfect, it wasn't almost, it was a perfect reflection of whatever God was doing in heaven. It was perfectly reflected in the earth through the Son. He surrendered his will to the will of God so that whatever he wanted to do, he put it aside and he just did whatever God did. That's his description of this son and father connection here that's going on. So let's read John 5 verse 30 and 36 and 37. John 5 verse 30. 36 and 37. We are in the same chapter. All of these scriptures is Jesus having this back and forth with the Pharisees and he keeps describing his relationship to his father, whom he said was my father, whom they understood as, oh, you're making yourself equal with God. They understood what he was saying. Well, whenever the father says something, that the son does. Whenever the father does something, that the son does. 
He does it likewise. They knew what he was saying. Did we get the revelation? Let's see. John 5.30. There. <clears throat> I can of mine own self, self do nothing. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just. Because I seek not my own will, but the will of the Father which has sent me. And read 36 and 37, please. <clears throat> but I have greater witness than that of John. For the works which the Father hath given me to finish the same works that I do bear witness in me, that the Father hath sent me. And the Father himself which hath sent me hath borne witness in me. Ye have neither heard his voice at any time, nor seen his shape. <clears throat> so Jesus, being the Son, is saying, I can't do anything of my own self. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just. Not because um, I, I, I'm just making judgments left and right, whatever I want. No, I hear the Father. And when I hear the Father, since I'm seeking His will and I'm doing His will, then my judgment is just. Because I'm doing whatever the Father wanted to be done. I'm saying whatever the Father wanted to be said. He said, the works which the Father gave me to finish are the same works that bear witnessing. What works is he talking about? All the works that we saw Jesus do and record. The healings, the miracles, the, the teachings. All of that came from the Father. And it's showing that the Father actually did send him. And so we still get that idea that there's two things. There's a son and the Father, the son and the Father. He's speaking that to them. Because what does he do to those that are outside the kingdom? He speaks in what? Parables. In mysteries. And so that's kind of a mystery. The way that he's describing this relationship between himself and his father. And then he says, Monica, in John chapter 8... Now we left John chapter 5 and other things happened between John 5 and 8 but he gets back into this discussion with the Pharisees. And so there's another exchange going on. So we're going to start in John chapter 8 verse 24 and I'll keep giving you verses to read. I said therefore unto you that you shall die in your sins for if you believe not that I am he you shall die in your sins. Stop right there. Jesus said to them, if you don't believe that I am he, who's he? God. God. That's the context. If you read the context and you keep thinking about, well, what was Jesus saying in John chapter 5? He's continuing this conversation later on in chapter 8 because there's more of this questioning who he is. Questioning his identity. Questioning the things that he's saying. And he said, listen to me. If you're going to die in your sins, if you don't believe that I am he, whom I keep speaking of, you're going to die in your sins. Read verse 28, Monica. Then said Jesus unto them, If you have lifted up the Son of Man, then shall you know that I am he, and that I do nothing of myself, but as my Father has taught me, I speak these things. And verse 29. And he that sent me is with me. The Father has not left me alone, for I do always those things that please him 
What did he tell the Pharisees that they will know that he is who he said he was? When would they know? Did you catch when the Pharisees would know that he is who he's been saying he is all this time? Anybody catch it? What does that mean? Ah, when he gets on the cross, you are then going to realize that I am he. And so now read verse 58. Same chapter. Still having this back and forth discussion. And I'm highlighting what Jesus said because what he said, and if you just follow the trail in the book of John, I love the book of John because Jesus, he starts kind of mysterious as to what he's saying he's about himself, about his relationship with, with his father, and then it just gets more and more crystal, crystal clear. And that's why you see how the Pharisees get became more and more and more riled about what he was saying. And they ended up murdering him. Because he was not relenting. He was not apologizing. He was not repenting of the things that he was saying. So what did he say in verse 58? Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Before Abraham was, I am. I don't know if you understand how powerful that statement is. He's not just saying, you know, Abraham was like a thousand five hundred years ago. Even before Abraham was, I am. He's not just saying that. That word, I am, comes from before Abraham. Where did we hear those words, I am? With Moses. When with Moses? When he asked, who should I say sent me? Uh-huh. Or his name. Uh-huh. said, I am that I am. That's right. He's referring to before Moses was after Abraham. Mm -hmm. Moses was after Abraham. But the the point is not that he was before um, Abraham. The point was that he was the I am. Where was the I am? With Moses. Moses said, "Who, who, who, who do I say sent me? I am that I am. That's the kicker of that whole statement. Not the fact that he was before Abraham, but that he was I am. The Jews understood that. They had no, they they knew exactly what he was saying. When he said before Abraham was, I am, they knew they were talking about, that's God. Because that's exactly what God spoke to Moses. Who are you going to say sent you? I am that I am. Iya, Asher, Iya. That's what it was in the Hebrew. I am that I am. That's what Jesus was referring to. And so, they got super, super ticked off. Uh, they, they knew. I mean, if they had any question of what Jesus was saying before, they, they're like even more sure now. He's getting more bold. He's getting more brazen. How dare he? How dare he say, I am? Who does he think he is? He's nothing but a human like me. 
But then look at what he says in John chapter 10. We went from John chapter 5, we're seeing what Jesus is saying and how he's describing his connection with the Father, and then he goes to John chapter 8 and he says, well, yeah, before Abraham was, I am, and now look at what he says in John chapter 10. In case there was any question as to what I'm saying to you, let me repeat it here again in John chapter 10. Who's next? Is that Ralph? Ralph, John chapter 10, verse 30 through 33. I and my Father are one. Stop that. You see, all of this time from John chapter 5 to John chapter 8 to even in John chapter 10, there's been this question about the Son, the Father, they're two different people, there are two things going on. No, you missed the point. When he said... The Son can do nothing of Himself when He was saying that He only says what the Father does, says He only does what the Father does. What He was saying was what He just said right now. I am my Father. There is no differentiation. There is no distinguishing. We are one. You see the Son, but what you don't see is that the Father is living through the Son. What you don't see is that God was manifested in the flesh. You just see flesh. But you are unwilling to recognize the fact that God was manifested in the flesh. That was the big deal. And he is he's not holding back anymore. This is what led to his crucifixion. He would not hold back on who he said he was. And all the while they are questioning his identity, his identity, his identity. Matter of fact, who else questioned his identity? Anybody know who questioned Jesus' identity? Very famous moment in the scriptures. Yeah. Tell me. Yeah, she's just... Yeah. Huh? No. Yes, John the Baptist was kind. He was wondering. But I'm saying questioned it. Went against it. John the Baptist didn't go against it. He was just like, are, are you really, you know, the person that I think God said that you were? No. I'm talking about that he challenged his identity. Disciple question mark? No, not the disciples. Who challenged Jesus' identity? Alright, I'm going to tell you. No. Tell us. <laughs> I'm going to tell you. Caesar? Remember when he was led in the wilderness? The Spirit of God was upon him. And if you read the questions that the devil had for him, he was questioning his identity. If thou be the Son of God. He didn't hold back. He always said, yeah, the Son of God. He was questioning his, not, not just questioning, he was challenging his identity. He said, if thou be the Son of God, turn this rock to bread. He said, if thou be the Son of God, do this next thing. And we saw all of those. He was challenging his authority as the Son of God. So here we have, I and my Father are one. I'm telling you flat out, Ralph. Now go ahead and read the rest up to verse 33. Then the Jews took up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, Many good works have I showed you from my Father, for which of these works do you stone me? The Jews answered him, saying, For a good work we stone thee not, but for blasphemy, and because thou, that thou, being a man, Makest thyself God. You see, I'm not making up their understanding of who he was. 
they only saw him as a mere man. They, they refused to accept who he kept saying he was. And they knew what he was saying. You making yourself equal with God. You make thyself God. They knew exactly what he was saying. They just refused to accept it. He didn't mince words in the Gospel of John. If you ever go back and read the Gospel of John, I would recommend that you look at and focus on what Jesus kept hitting about himself. Because he just, it just, it crescendos and crescendos and just gets bigger and bigger until he's just not, he's just saying it flat out. I and my father are one. You can't, you can't mince my words now. That's exactly what I'm saying. He kept alluding to this truth until he came out and said, I am he. Which the Jews interpret as saying that he was the I am from Exodus 3.14. He said it again later in different words by saying, I and my Father are one. In case you missed it before, I'm going to tell you straight up again. I and my Father are one. That's like saying, I'm a, a, a husband to my wife Patricia. I am a father to my children. Well, the husband and father are one. There's no difference here. I may have a different relationship between my wife and my children. But the husband and father is one. And that's what he's saying here. You see the father? Yeah, he's an heaven. You see the son? He's the, he's the Messiah. The father and the son are one. They're the same person. That's what he's saying there. He says it to the Jews then, and he says it to us today. I am the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob that has come unto you. Jesus said, the Father is in me. He said, the Father is in me. How? Can you think about how was the Father in him? Anybody? How was the Father in him? By the Spirit. Exactly. By the Spirit of God. Because the Holy Spirit is God the Father. There's no difference. When we saw the Spirit of God brooding upon the waters way back in Genesis, was there a Holy Spirit that was separate from God? Isn't God the Father the creator of all things, heaven and earth, all the the trees, the plants, the the creatures above and below, and the fowls in the air and the creatures in the sea? Isn't the Father the creator? Well, wasn't that the Holy Spirit? Yeah. Yeah. The Holy Spirit and the Father are one. There wasn't any separation there. And the man Jesus was saying, I could do nothing without being dependent on the Father, who is the Spirit of God. Again, I'm going back to, we're looking at the life of Jesus and how he was a perfect example of how we should be walking out. A life completely dependent on the Spirit of God, especially for those that have received the gift of the Holy Ghost. Jesus said, we must abide in him. Right? Abide in me, and then what? I in you. Okay? And when we did that, we would be able to bring forth much fruit. Just as he abided in the Father, 
and the Father abided in him. Did not Jesus bring forth abundant fruit? Yeah, because they had this, they were abiding in one another. And I say one another as if there were two, but Jesus made it very clear. No, they were one. You just didn't receive it. You didn't accept that revelation. So the faith of Christ was that the man Jesus Christ was completely and totally dependent upon God for every single one of his words and actions. There is a oneness between the Son and the Father because they were one. There was a constant, intimate communion between the spirit of the man Jesus and the spirit of the Father. So much so that whatever Jesus said or did, who did he attribute that to? His Father. He's not taking the glory of the credit. No, that's my Father. And that's how we should be walking. We're praying on other people. We're laying hands on other people. We're casting out devils. We're doing this and that for the kingdom of God. We don't attribute none of that to ourselves. No, that's my father. Salat Vang came and ministered to us. He said, no, 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 that's not me. That's not me. That's my father. He's walking in the same example that Jesus said. No, I'm not healing anybody. That's my father. But Peter said, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give to thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Who is he giving? Who is he giving this? This? Uh, who's attributing the fact that he just walked up and rose? He rose, uh, rose up and walked. Who is he attributing that to? He's attributing that to his father. He's not taking glory or credit for that. John fifteen five says, "I am in." Uh, excuse me, not I am in. I am the vine. Jesus said, I am the vine. You are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, meaning there's this synergy between the two. It's not just one and the other. It's the both together in one another. The same bringeth forth much fruit. For, look at what he says. For without me, you can do nothing. Wasn't that what Jesus was saying? I can of my own self do nothing except that which I see the Father say and that which I see the Father do. Well, that's how we should be walking. Abiding in the vine is saying, I'm not going to do my own will. I'm going to do whatever I see the Father do. Whatever I hear the Father say, I'm going to say. Whatever the Father has instructed or taught me is what I am going to do. That is a man that is completely dependent and surrendered to the Spirit of God. So in the same manner that Christ was dependent upon the Holy Spirit, Jesus says we must also be dependent upon Him. And if we don't, we're not going to do nothing. Or we're not going to do anything. If we don't abide in Him, and He in us, we will not be able to accomplish anything of eternal value in this life. Hebrews 9.14, what does that say, Deborah? And if I skip somebody, I apologize. Hebrews 9.14. Uh, 
How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? So the blood of Christ purges us or purges our conscience from what? Dead works. See, there's that phrase again. Repentance from what? Dead works. The blood of Christ purges our conscience from dead works so that we can do what? Exactly. And so that goes back to what Paul said. They went about to establish their own righteousness, separate and apart from God. Well, no, 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 no. When we come into Christ, He's going to purge us from dead works so that we can do what? Serve the living God. Because the only way to serve the living God is to serve Him in the way that He wants to be served. Not in my bright ideas. That's why baptism in water? (laughs) That's not my bright idea. The only reason I did that is because I heard the Father say, that's what my requirement is. I want you to get baptized in Jesus' name so that your sins... Or, or the, for the remission of your sins. Well, that's not my idea. Okay, so I'm going to submit. I'm going to surrender. I'm going to do it. Because that's what he said to do. And so now I'm learning how to be led of the Spirit of God. I'm learning how to allow him to direct me and to lead me and to instruct me and to teach me. So dead works start with a man acting independent of God, meaning separate from God, he is acting independent of God, and what? Undependent on God. Meaning he is his life is not leaning on the Lord to help him get through life. So one of them is separating himself from God, and the other part of dead works is you're not even going to allow yourself to be led of the Lord, undependent on God. And that to me is the meat and bones of this repentance of dead works. Dead works is you acting independently of God and not at all dependent on God. Amen? Thus is the ministry of our Father's heart through us. Our utmost desire is to be in the Father's heart, to know the Father's heart, and express the Father's heart to you. If you appreciate listening to this podcast and were blessed, pass it along to a friend, an enemy, a co-worker, a stranger, by text, email, or word of mouth in the hopes that they might be positively impacted as you were. If you are interested in supporting our efforts, we would ask you to consider the following. One, pray for us. Two, leave a positive rating or review with whomever you listen to our podcast with. And three, If you so desire to contribute monetarily, you can do so at paypal.me slash jbenjesus. That's paypal.me forward slash jbenjesus. God bless.